Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you guys for tuning in. It's Coach Cleese, your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker coming at you. Thank you guys for tuning in. We got a special guest backstage. I'll introduce her in a minute. You see the name below. We're going to have a, a wonderful live interactive conversation. We were continuing on. You know, the lab has transitioned to Black and Blue, and Black and Blue is a platform where we highlight police officers throughout this, the nation, uh, United States of America, who are either rookie, seasoned, or retired officers in their experiences. They they provide their viewpoints, they provide their experiences, and they provide their education. This is a platform where you can ask your questions and we can answer them and gives you a little insight on what the law enforcement profession is and does. All right. But we got to get a couple things out of the way. We got to give a couple shout outs to our sponsors. One of our sponsors is MG4 Tech. If you need any of your online needs, make sure you guys, I'll make sure I'll put it in the comment section too. MG4 Tech so you guys can go ahead not now but after the live is over make sure you check out his website for any of your online needs and get that done he's he's a guy he's a good friend of mine and he's a guy who gets a lot of good things done you see the flyers and you see a lot of the av stuff because i'm not av I'm not technologically advanced however he gets that done another one of our sponsors is one way publishing one way publishing you know their motto is they can take you from a mere thought to a book that's bought and some of the books that you see uh, behind me or some of the books that uh, I've written and others have written throughout the course of um, their publishing company. Uh, one of their, their, their publisher or one of the, uh, their authors, their current authors has had their book 
uh, submitted into a local high school in Texas. It's a children's book. It's a children's book that teaches kids about financing. Uh, Marion Small, he's currently in the United States Army. He wrote this book not even thinking it was going to take off, and it's already grown wings and taken off. Um, One Way Publishing, and here's the commercial we got to play for them. Make sure you guys stay tuned, all right? One Way Publishing introduces published author Marion Small. what a man does okay so uh whenever whenever i figured that out i'm like okay what is a man so what i came up with is a uh a man is a current state of being hmm so uh and the type of what's the name of your book cornell buys his first pair of sneakers there it is the book in summary is about Cornell, of course, who uh, learns financial management with, through his parents, uh, through buying his first pair of sneakers, and the journey to actually understanding what money is. And uh, obtaining the goal to get uh, to get rich and not look rich. Since being published, his book has been enjoyed by many. It has even been entered into the school library of the Jimmy Tyler Brashear Elementary School. Give your kids the opportunity to succeed in life and get your copy now. Subscribe now. Like I said, his book has been um, submitted into a local high school, um, local children's elementary school in Texas. Um, and the, digit, the link's below. The link's in the comment section, and the link it will be in the description box as well. So make sure you guys get your copy, uh, cornellsdigitalplatform.com. Also, the website, workforclee.com. If anyone wants to be on the platform, let me know. Register online. Uh, we will, we're going to continue moving straight forward because the stories and the interviews are important, and, and they're a lot of fun to do. And right now, like you guys know, I, I've been in the law enforcement arena for over 16 years now. Uh, I've seen a lot of changes. I've seen a lot of things come and go. I've seen how the, the country has changed to see how uh, the society has changed. Uh, I've seen how law enforcement itself has changed. And not only just getting it from my point of view, we get it from points of views from other officers uh, who are in the law enforcement arena throughout the country. And right now we have someone who's celebrating or just celebrated their anniversary of being the chief of police. Uh, August 1st of last year, they got appointed to this position. Uh, they've been in the law enforcement arena since 1996, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with another department. Uh, she's also, the like I said, she's the chief of police of Raleigh uh, Police Department. She's also served in as a patrolman, as an instructor, as recruitment, uh, as internal affairs, deputy chief, has been in the Army Reserves, currently on the board with North Carolina for their training and, and evaluation forms. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm probably saying it all wrong. And a current member of Noble, which some of you may not know, is the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to the bring to the stage Stella Patterson. Stella, are you there? I'm here. Chief, how's it going? Thank you for tuning to being with us today. How are you feeling? Feeling good, feeling good. Thank you, Coach, for having me on your show, Black and Blue. Excited to be here. Shouts out to anybody that is from Raleigh that is tuning in today and or anybody from across North Carolina. Thank you for being on and thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, I shout out to Raleigh. I have a lot of family in Raleigh, so I hope they're watching. If they're not watching right now, make sure you guys watch the replay, tag, like, and share. We're going on having fun with this interview. Chief, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, of course, my name is Estella Patterson. I am the chief here at the Raleigh Police Department. I've been in law enforcement now 26 years. 25 of those years um, was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I started with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. You, you read a little bit of my bio, came up as a patrol officer, elevated through the ranks there, worked in all parts of different parts of the department, not all parts, but different parts of the department. Got mm -hmm. a lot of growth and knowledge there. But aside from being a police officer, um, I am a 
I'm married. My husband is a firefighter. We have been married for 25 years, um, and he is a firefighter in in Charlotte, in the Charlotte area. Um, he is from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm from all over. I tell people I was born in Panama. My dad was in the military, born in Panama, but California is where we call home. That's where most of my family is. Gotcha. And so, uh, and I know um, going through your bio, you've done a lot of uh, work in a lot of different areas as far as law enforcement. Um, your current uh, duties and responsibilities is chief right now. How about we start with that? Can you explain some of your responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a chief of a Metro Police Department. Uh, we are a full service police department. We're allocated 800 officers. We're short like a lot of other police departments. Mm-hmm. 800 officers, 106 civilians. Um, we service a population of about 500,000 or close to 500,000 here in the Raleigh area. Wow. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on here all the time. I thought when I was in Charlotte, Charlotte was a million, so twice the size. I was downsizing coming to Raleigh. I said, well, this is going to be cool. This is going to be smooth sailing. Easy to go. Got here from day one. It has been busy, busy, busy. You know, of course, being the chief in a city that I'm not from, Mm -hmm. I had to learn. I had to learn this police department. I've had to learn the city of Raleigh. Things are different because it's a capital city compared to, say, you know, Charlotte, where it was more of a corporate um, city with a lot of big business. So just having to make that transition, um, my job, I know a chief is a chief is a chief, but I think when you're in the capital city, there's much more responsibility because you're dealing not only with your everyday population, but you also have your big government here. You have lots of schools and colleges in this area. And so being able to navigate and making sure that we're working collaboratively with all these various entities that are here. Gotcha, gotcha. And coming up through the ranks, I know at working patrol and working investigations and, and and different duties with that. Uh, what do you think has molded you to actually um, obtain the position that you're in now? What what's qualified you to actually take the lead and 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 run with it and be successful? Well, I would say all the experiences I had um, coming up, even being a patrol officer on the street, right? Just learning people how to handle situations, how to de-escalate situations. All that plays into becoming a chief. Now, of course, as you elevate up the ranks and you start working in other positions, that really truly grooms you. But foundationally, you have to be a police officer at heart, right? You gotta know what the guys in the field, the girls and the guys in the field are dealing with so that you can know then how to craft your policies and how to make sure that they're being taken care of. Um, I will tell you though, probably the greatest job that prepared me for this was the job I did not want when I was a captain. My chief then um, moved me into professional standards. It was Office of Professional Standards, what we called it, but it had like CLIA. Um, It wasn't just internal affairs, although I did shift to that area, but it was more so policy writing. And I just like hated all of that. (laughs) I was like, man, this is just too much. It's too much detail, all kinds of things. But at this level, as a chief of police, you have to have that kind of knowledge and you have to make sure that the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. Officers on the street will never get it, but at this level, to keep the department out of liability, to make sure that our officers are well-trained, you have to really be about the details. So I think that position, even though I hated it, I didn't want to do it, it really molded me and prepared me for where I end up um, being today. A necessary evil, huh? (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. So actually going through those experiences, are there any mentors or anyone who has influenced you throughout the course of your career that uh, you emulated yourself after? Yeah, this is a great question. I tell you, I I love to talk about it because I had professional mentors Uh as well as just personal mentors. And I want to start with my personal mentors because I think they're the most beneficial in our lives, right? The people Mm -hmm. who mold us, the people who really shape who we are as individuals. And Mm -hmm. of course, that would be my mother. Um, I grew up with my mother and my father, but my mom was always like my best friend. She was somebody I could always talk to. And I just remember being, um, when I was young, I'm tall, I'm 5'8", so I was always taller than everybody. I was taller than all the boys, I was taller than all the girls in my class. And so I would always get teased about that, tall and skinny. And my mom really instilled in me confidence. She's like, you stand tall with your shoulders back, with your head up, I don't care how much taller and skinnier than you are, everybody. I don't care how much people tease you about that. You stand proud and tall. So she really started to instill those values in me of being confident as a woman, um, as you know, and, and also to 
not looking like everybody else because right. I was so different. So she instilled that in me. But then moving, you know, through my years, my pastor has been an awesome role model. Um, mm-hmm. My late pastor, Bishop Roberts, um, he's just a man of high integrity. Um, he always just talked about that. And he demonstrated so much. And I love him for that because that is, that's who I emulated and really wanted to be a person that my word is my bond. I will do what I say kind of thing. And he really, really shaped me with that. So that's on my personal side. On the Mm -hmm. professional side, I got to say, you know, all the chiefs that I worked with, my previous chief, Chief Johnny Jennings, the chief before him, Chief Putney, that's the one that put me in that position that I didn't want. Gotcha. Tough as nails, always yelling at me, always getting on me about something. (laughs) But again, that toughened me up. That prepared me for this position because if you're ever thinking about it being a chief, you can't have thin skin. People are always yeah. coming at you at every side. So I think those, you know, his professional mentorship really has helped me along and helped me to be where I am today, one, but also to is keeping me while I'm here because all the things that I'm dealing with, I feel prepared to handle. Gotcha. Got, and I know you written your bio that you want to make Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, uh, one of the safest cities in the nation. That's one of your goals. Uh, how do you go about doing that every day? I know that's got to be difficult. Like you said, you got to have thick skin and uh, arrows are coming at you from in front, from the side, from behind and so many different things you have to adjust. How do you go about making that goal a dream come true? Yeah, so I want to make Raleigh the safest city. Like we're going to be the safest, the best. And we're, we're not really far from that. Um, I'll tell you, you know, just when you look at the crime numbers, we are not as bad as it seems per capita. Now, right. we've seen an increase in our violent crime like everybody else. Right now, mm-hmm. we're 4% up in violent crime. That's our homicides, robberies, and such. And we're seeing a lot of violent activity in our city that we're not used to seeing. Mm-hmm. So I put that out there first. I get that. But on the same token, we have a great team of officers who are dedicated our detective division, they're just outstanding when it comes to really investigating and follow crime and identifying suspects and charging those individuals, working very closely with our DA's office. So for me, in order to do that, I really look at it from three prongs, right? We have to really focus on our priority offenders, our priority locations, and we have to rely on the relationships that we have. 800 officers allocated, but I'm only I'm down like 130. Uh-huh. officers so with that then i really have to rely on everybody else around us we got to rely on the community we got to rely on those partnerships that we have with the fed with the federal government um mm-hmm. ATFC, dea i have officers on all those task force for that mm-hmm. reason so that we can really focus on cases in raleigh and then also to you know working with all our other law enforcement partners in our region our local partners our small towns our sheriff's office we just all got to really attack it together because individually we're not going to be able to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how that goes a lot. It leads into my next question, uh, uh, talking about community policing. Uh, and we'll jump right into that. We're going to pause for the calls. Quick, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes a commercial from Sergeant Be Safe. I hope you guys like it. Sergeant be safe and I'm here on patrol and I just learned we had some unsavory characters come into town stay tuned and I'll show you how to protect yourself from their wicked ways Ooh, I think I'm gonna like this city rob you blind here <laughs> and I'm here to cause total chaos <laughs> Chance Wilder here and I just snuck in town too I'm here to scam you. So ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to have any interactions with these fiendish foes. So lock your doors around, rob you blind, and don't fall for the scam from Chance Wilder, or should I say, Wild Chance. Subscribe now.
I hope you guys like that. Uh, stay tuned. We do have other skits and cartoons from Sergeant Be Safe coming down the pipeline along with other work. I uh, do say this often. Uh, if you're interested in being a voiceover, um, let me know. Inbox me, text me, uh, get a hold of me, uh, go to the website, let me know. We, we have a few more uh, skits that are available for uh, lines and readings and voice talents. Uh, but we are live right now with Chief Stella Patterson of the Raleigh, North Carolina Police Department. Uh, and one of the hot topics that we're just now uh, getting into, it seems like uh, we talk about this every single time we're live, but it's necessary we talk about because it's important. Uh, I know I get stopped a lot uh, while working and I know our department prides itself on community policing and community policing is a big deal uh it, it's very it's very impactful it's very engaging and it's a lot of fun too i know for me to get out and engage with individuals that i know with kids that i see with going into the schools is important not only because it it, it, it builds trust but it, it's also fun to actually get to know the community and the community has to be able to trust me and i have to be able to trust the community also so i'm gonna bring chief back to the stage chief you still there still here can you hear me okay absolutely absolutely right good deal chief what are your thoughts and what are your um what what strategies strategies do you have in place uh, involving community policing with uh Ra Ra in the raleigh area yeah so i tell you i come from a community policing background mm -hmm. that is all i know engaging the community and make it having them be a part of you solving your crime preventing crime that's what it's all about for me so when i arrived to raleigh know i said to everyone i said i want every single one of our officers to be a community officer yes we have units with community officers they're designated to go out to community meetings to provide st stats crime stats work with the community i said everybody should be doing that and we're working towards that even though we're short and we our officers are handling a lot of calls for service ultimately i do want everyone to be a community officer and for me it's simple you said it coach um Cleet, that Building that trust is so vital. Mm -hmm. The community knows what is going on. When there's a home invasion, there's a robbery, there's a shooting or homicide, people in the community know exactly who's responsible and who's doing it. They're not going to talk to the police if there's no relationship there. If they don't feel that they're going to be protected somehow, they're not going to come talk to you. The only way to build those relationships is by being seen and known and building that rapport with people. So I really encourage that on all levels. I feel like if we can, you know, really get to a connect with the community, that's going to help us to solve crime and prevent crime. Just today, I got an email from a random person that said, hey, that shooting that y'all had on Saturday, let me tell you a little bit about that person responsible for it, the owner of the establishment, all these various things. I mean, just a random email, which is beneficial. I'm passing that on to our detectives so they can do that. And I think that comes, she was comfortable doing that because she has seen me out in the community talking. I'm giving out my card. I'm saying, hey, if you have any information that we can pass on, please, please, please do that. And now we're starting to see that people are doing that. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy for it. That's good. I, I hope it comes to a successful outcome as well. I know um, being engaged in the community, uh, um, it, like I said, like you said, also it builds trust. And one of the the events that we had, uh, and I'm pretty sure you guys um, have conducted it too, wasn't uh, about two weeks ago. Was National Night Out. Um, other than events like that, do you have um, any events or or any programs where you engage in the community on a consistent basis? Oh, oh yes, a ton of things that we're doing. Again, I told you we have our community offices that are out and about. But in addition to that, we do um, one of my majors in our field operations div division started a what's called cops on the block and okay. that's exactly what i was looking for where a group of officers on any given day they'll pick a location in the city and res mostly residential or some of our hot spot areas and they'll just go out there knocking on doors introducing themselves i'm officer so and so i work this beat i work this area here's my card if there's any issues questions that you have feel free to call me the first one that we did it we did it in our um, communities outside our downtown area took the horse out there we have a mounted unit we took the horse okay. and people were just taken aback and we posted on our social media and we got such a response they were like oh my goodness like we some people had never even seen a horse some kids had never been exposed to something like that wow. that's just the beginning of building that trust and that legitimacy that is going to help us go a long way in making the city the safest city that those individuals in our community are going to be the eyes and ears that we need to pass information on to us constantly to let us know when things are brewing, when things are planning, there's gang activities coming. 
they'll let us know ahead of time so that we can be, be prepared with a response on how to deal with that. So that's one thing we've done. Also, too, we've done a um, crucial conversation session. Okay. Uh, I, I understand that, you know, there's members of the of our community that want to know why police do the things we do. Why is it that when an officer stop you, four other officers come out there? You know, yeah. why y'all got to do that? It's one of me. I'm feeling intimidated. I'm feeling scared. You know, that's what we hear from the community members. Yeah. So we created where we would do have these crucial conversations once a month, a safe space for several of our officers, several members of the public to come together to talk about whatever they want to talk about. No cameras there. No one recording the conversations or anything like that. They can just talk freely. And again, that's building that trust and that legitimacy, that one-on-one -on -one conversation that they're having. So that is another community policing initiative that we have been doing. We've been doing that since January of this year um, throughout different parts. We started in Southeast Raleigh, but we're going to spread that to other parts of the community as well. That sounds like a great idea and to have a safe space for everyone to, to come together and have those, like you said, crucial conversations is important. I mean, uh, at the end of it, it, having both sides heard, whether you can agree to disagree or you can agree, but being able to communicate is key and understanding where each person is, or each side is coming from. That's how growth occurs. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, you know, the community says that to us. I think oftentimes especially in our communities of color, mm -hmm. people say, or the rhetoric, the narrative that we're hearing on, on TV is that, oh, we don't want any officers in our communities. We want to defund the police. We don't want them. That is a small percentage of people, a very mm -hmm. loud minority that is saying mm -hmm. that. The majority of the people that I talk to or that our, my officers come in contact with want more of a police presence. They want to see us more. They want us to be visible. They're not asking necessarily for enforcement. We don't, right. We're not going to be there in these communities to stop people and frisk them and arrest them and that various thing. But we're there for visibility and for a presence. And I think as, as we continue to do that, we're going to see the tide change in policing and in law enforcement and attitudes towards um, police officers. Yeah, we took a hit in 2020 with the civil unrest and the BLM movement and all that. But I think that the pendulum is swinging back the other way where people are supporting the community and the police and they want to see more of us in the community. I would agree with you on this podcast. We, we've talked for the past month. Each each person who's been on here for an interview has said that basically police work is very cyclic. Uh, we've had retired officers on here who dealt with the uh, Rodney King issue in their era or different kind of uh, different kind of things that took place while they were working. And so, uh, with our job, with our profession, we're at a very low point at certain times. We're at a very mediocre point and other times we're at a very high point where we're deemed uh, the national hero and it keeps continuing. Uh, and I know, just like you said, 2020, we, we were at a very low point and it seems like we're coming out of that. Um, but let me ask you this. This kind of leads into my next question. With um, the 21st century policing, uh, there's a lot of issues that you see with the police and the public and vice versa with the public, with the police. What kind of things you, uh, we all can do to counteract some of these negative situations? Yeah, I think the best thing that we can do is, from a law enforcement lens is to be transparent, Mm -hmm. to be truthful and to build trust all three of those work together um <clears throat> and as long as we as law enforcement can be truthful in what we're dealing with the better it is for all of us because anything that happens in raleigh that might be negative is going to affect the rest of the country and yeah. vice versa if something happens in california if something happens in new york it is going to affect all of us it touches all of us i truly fully believe that um even when we do something that's not favorable that we mm -hmm. just own it, that we own it. If it's a bad shooting, own it. If it's a bad use of force, own it. Don't try to cover it up. That's always been my stance. Um, as a sergeant, I worked in internal affairs. As a major, I was over our internal affairs unit. And that has always been my positioning. I think it, it goes better that way. When I first got here to Raleigh, I got information that we had an officer that was doing illegal activity. He was selling drugs. Oh, wow. In uniform. It oh, was a wow. disgrace to his badge for doing uh -huh. that. Not the rest of us, but to him doing that. That was something that we easily could have just investigated. We could have just terminated that individual and just dealt with it that way. Mm -hmm. I felt that we owed it to the public to be transparent about that situation. And so I made the decision to do that. Um, and I think that the community was grateful to us mm -hmm. for that. It didn't become a scandal in the organization because I put it out there 
um, and so that our people would know. And we did it and we put it out externally as well. We worked with the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, for an indictment on that individual. So I just think even though that's that may seem like a black eye to the organization, we have to, as leaders, be willing and courageous enough to put those kinds of things out. I think if you are transparent with the community in that in that regard, they're going to appreciate you better. They're going to feel that they can, can trust you to do the right thing. And, and and you just do it and you'll be OK. Oh, yeah, that, that that's yeah, that's a lot. Yes. To have to deal with that and to be transparent about it. I know that's kind of uh, it goes both ways where it's it's still hurtful because it's still your department. It's still guys uh, that wear the same uniform as you do. But it's necessary, too, because, I mean, you can't let one bad apple spoil the whole bunch and, and you can't you can't let one person take down a whole department. Yeah, I mean, it's heavy. It, it was really heavy. was the hardest thing to do of course one of your own mm-hmm. but we're, we've got to uphold the law i mean we have to be higher than the standard okay. yeah. and and you know and i'll tell you when i meet with community groups and community activists i tell them about that and i said you know it's easy for you to point the finger at law enforcement and say that we that to villainize let me put it that way mm-hmm. to villainize law enforcement and i said right. i'm willing to have those conversations but conversely let's also talk about what's happening in our communities and what we are doing to combat that especially in our brown and black communities we see a lot of crime where brown and black individuals are victimizing and being victimized mm-hmm. i said at what point is there going to be an outcry about that just like there's an outcry when there's an incident involved in the police i said let's let's play both sides and not just isolate and say, we're only gonna make a stink when there's an officer involved shooting or there's an incident with the police, but we don't wanna address what is happening in our communities. We have to, we gotta play both sides and you have to make sure that you address both sides. Absolutely, I agree with that, I agree. And I know you spoke on uh, your goals in your bio uh, for making Raleigh the safest uh, city in um, the the nation. what are your what are three of your goals uh if you haven't already accomplished them or if you already have uh what goals have you already accomplished that you would like to share with us and of those three which one is the most important to you so there have been three goals that i have established for the organization i have shared this internally and externally mm-hmm. with my officers and with the raleigh community um, coming to raleigh assessing the city assessing this police department i was very thankful to inherit a very professional organization, great men and women who desire to serve. And through in looking in the organization, three areas that I said, okay, I want to continue to evaluate, I want to continue to improve upon is firstly, you know, our violent crime. Really okay. attacking our violent crime, reducing it, that goes towards making us the safest city. If we mm-hmm. can reduce our violent crime, um, that would be awesome. And we're going to keep working towards that. Also to increase in our community engagement. So I talked about some of the things we are doing, but for me, again, the goal is not accomplished until every officer is a community officer and have their their Rolodex, if you will. I know the young people don't know what a Rolodex is. (laughs) (laughs) Having your contact list, how about that? (laughs) Having your playlist of people that you can call and you can go to and you can rely and they are supporters of the police because you built that rapport with them. Right. That's the goal of mine. And then thirdly, just looking internally at our organization, right? Officer wellness, employee wellness is huge for me. We know mm-hmm. that we're doing a, it's a difficult job that we do. We're dealing with a lot of negativity just in terms, not just about police community relations, but just the types of individuals that we are dealing with now. Many who are dealing with mental health issues and crises. Um, it has taken its toll even on our personnel. So looking after all our employees and making sure that there is work-life balance, making sure that they are, you know, that they are mentally fit and resilient to do the job, that is super important to me. So those are the three goals that I've established overall for the organization. We are making strides and getting wins in different places, but I would really like to see our organization just um, really evolve into one where wellness is a high priority, where our, our, our violent crime is reduced, and where our mm-hmm. community engagement is way up. 
I like that. Good answer. Good answer. Thanks for sharing. I know. Um, and you, you touched on uh, mental, mental health and we discussed on this platform as well how mental health matters on both sides on with the public and with law enforcement as well. Uh, because now it seems it's brought to the forefront more so. I know with us dealing in, in this capacity, we've dealt with individuals uh, who've had um, who were going through mental crises at the time. And, and a lot of times, sometimes it would be dealt with as from a law enforcement spectrum as in maybe they get arrested as, or charged and you know okay we're taking them from this per location to this facility now i think we've evolved to having uh, i know our department has um co-responders uh crisis um trained individuals and we've gone through cit training as well to help us identify some of the clues and ticks uh, uh others may have and actually um making mental health uh, awareness more known um not just thinking that everything's it's, everything's black and white there's a lot of gray we can actually find there's treatments for a lot of individuals that we may not have known about uh how do you feel about mental health and and uh, do you guys have something similar to, to that with your department yes we do i'll tell you mental health issues and interventions are so needed in our country and i think we have identified that there's a lot of gaps there right um, wonderful thing i like about the raleigh police department even before i got here um, the previous chief instituted this, that all our officers would go through CIT, mm -hmm. crisis intervention team training, which is awesome. So as our officers are in the academy, our recruits are going through the academy, towards the end, they get their CIT. So when they come out, they at least have a baseline level, right? Uh, which is great. Now, in addition to that, we did form a team, a co-responder model of individuals, social workers and police officers who... Mm -hmm assist those and provide intervention of those who are dealing with mental health issues or crises. Um, that team is called the ACORNS unit. Raleigh is the city of Oaks. So our ACORNS unit stands for um, assessing crisis through referrals, outreach, networking, and services. And so our ACORNS teams, they go out in teams and if an individual is dealing with a mental health crisis, they can be called upon by our officers in the field to come out and assist with the call. Mm -hmm. but they also provide resources for that individual because the goal is we do not want an individual to have repeated confrontations or issues with the police. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If we can avoid that at all costs, that's what we want to do. So those referrals on the back end then is working with those individuals so to prevent those to prevent those um, interactions again with the police. And so our ACORNS unit then, they provide mental health services, referrals, if the individual needs to go to their doctor's appointment, they work with them for that. If they got to pick up their medication, they do that. They check in on them and make sure they are on their meds. Um, we really focus on those who are suffering from substance abuse as well as experiencing homelessness. Okay. To really just provide those resources to help them. Our the unit has been stood up now, stood up in June of last year. So we're a year under our belt. It has been hugely successful to the tune and to the point now that our city manager wants to expand that unit. So we're going to be looking to do that in the near future. But our model, you know, we, we've looked at different models across the country. You know, you have the Coons model, the star model, all these various ones. Um, but ours is just a mix, a co-responder where we have police and social right. workers working together. Right, and that's good. I see that you said that um, you're the newer officers while they're in the academy, they get the uh, CIT training toward the end. Uh, that's a good thing. I know uh, when I went through uh, the academy uh, years ago, I'm not going to say how long. I mean, it's been well over 16 years ago. Um, but when going through there, uh, I remember the, the anything that was close to CIT training uh, wasn't as extensive as the training that I got. When did I go through? About a year and a half ago. Uh, and it was a huge eye opener and a lot of things that I already knew. Uh, and I know a lot of officers that, uh, that have been on the job for a few years already knew just from dealing with people, but to actually learn it and to be able to, oh, that's a tick here, that's a trigger here. I know I can get call this person, I can call this agency, I can actually help and redirect a lot of things as opposed to uh, this, is, this isn't actually law enforcement, I can't help you. To actually, we all got in this job to help people and to actually put some, point someone in the right direction and not just spin them in circles is a good feeling. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And that our Acorns team—they are just the work they do is incredible. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. They're well received in the community. They're well known, even though we've only been doing this for a year now. And so we'll continue doing that. 
they have a servant's heart. They care yeah. about the individuals that they service and that they work with. And so I'm just excited at the work that they are doing and the partnerships that they have built as well. Gotcha. So I'm going to back up a little bit. What made you actually want to decide to be a police officer? Wow. You know, I get that question from time to time. People are like, did you come up wanting to do this? Did you grow up wanting to do it? You don't look like a police officer. I'm like, well, what, what does a police officer look like? So those are the, you know, kind of the questions I get. And I got to tell you that, no, I, this is not something I wanted to do coming up. I actually thought I was going to be like either a professor or a lawyer. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Never, you know, I, I love to serve. I will say that. Um, I've always been, I knew that I would be in some profession where I would be providing a service. So I understood that. But what made me get into policing was my senior year of undergrad, I needed some credits to graduate. I just need to take some classes, <laughs> easy, go ahead on and graduate. Uh -huh. I said, let me just try criminal justice. Everybody says these classes are easy. I don't know. I said, let's just try it. And so I took a, a CJ class, a one-on-one -on -one class, and got in it and like got mesmerized. Okay. What I was learning, we were, you know, we're taking basic law class, you know, learning about government and structure and police departments and law and order and all that various things. And I was really intrigued by that. I think it just clicked for me. I was like, wow, this is super cool. And so then I took another class and another class. And then right as I was getting ready to graduate, mm -hmm. um, I went to a job fair at my university and there was a, um, the Charlotte Maple Police was there recruiting and there was a female officer there and I looked at her and like, I could see myself doing okay. that. You know, she was she was in the military and so was I, mm -hmm. um, you know, she was a black female. She just mm -hmm. kind of reminded me of myself and I'm like, wow, you know, like she, she can do this. If she can do this, I can do it. And so she ended up being my recruiter and did my background, did everything and got me on the police oh, yeah. department. So yeah, it wasn't something though that I charted out <laughs> that I would do. I just kind of evolved into it. And I'm so glad because I feel like it is such a wonderful career. There's nobility mm -hmm. in this career and mm -hmm. it's nothing that I would just rather do right now than to serve. Absolutely. See, representation is everything. Yeah. Going to a, a career fest and you're seeing someone like you're looking through the mirror of your future self, like I can see myself doing that. And here you are sitting here, here at the top spot. Look at you. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. All because of her. I uh -huh. give the credit to Valerie Gordon. She was my background investigator. And my, yeah. And my example. Mm hmm. So how important do you think it is where, like we talked about 21st policing um, and, and how every kind of occupation is struggling right now as far as finding new applicants, finding qualified applicants, or not only that, just retaining people. Um, do you have any solutions or thoughts uh, that you think you can uh, uh, assist for that challenge? Yeah, I tell you, it's a struggle. I think for everyone, it was when I was in Charlotte, it is when I was here. I will say when it comes to recruiting and hiring and even retention, you have to have a strategy and you have to have a plan around it. Um, one of the big things I was a when I was a captain in Charlotte, I was over our recruitment section for a couple of years. And I remember then that was 2010 ish, 2012, 2012 is when I got assigned. I had a forward thinking chief then and he was already looking at today. He was like, Okay. We know in the next 10 years, we are going to see a decline of police officers just by natural attrition, because we knew that 30 years ago, all that legislation went through that says, you know, you could beef up your police departments. And we hired so many police officers back then. So just quite naturally, they're all going to be retiring around this time. So he says, we've got to have a plan now to really hire, to be robust in our recruitment efforts, and to make sure as we hire that the individuals we bring are reflective of the communities right. serve. That was a big thing for him there. And so we said, you know, we, we put together a campaign to increase the number of women on the force, um, individuals, you know, Hispanic, Spanish speaking officers and such, and just worked. You had to grind it out, right? You had to beat the bushes hard to be able to do that. That was 10 years ago. Today, it's an incredibly hard to do it because not many people are wanting to get into this profession or service professions either. The military is facing the same thing where they can't meet their quotas kind of thing. So um, I would say, and, and, and we're recruiting 
very robustly here in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. We're going to start a recruit class in August, or I'm sorry, October. And it's probably mm -hmm. going to be one of our largest classes that we've had in many years. I challenged my recruiters when I got here. I said, you know, we just have to go everywhere. We really have to push hard. We got to hit our HBCUs. Mm -hmm. We got to go to our military installations. We got to go to our sporting. If you want to get female applicants in recruiting, you got to go to athletic programs uh -huh. where women, women are already in physical shape and mm -hmm. the discipline is there because we know that this job requires that. So my team has done an exceptional job of doing that. And then advertising left and right. No more are the days where you sit back and applicants just come to you. You exactly. have to actively go out and find them through your social media platforms, through your recruitment efforts, and through all your networks, everybody you know. I have a friend of mine just yesterday from Charlotte text me. He says, I have a great applicant for you. This guy wants is choosing between coming to Charlotte and coming to Raleigh. And he says, I've talked to him into going to Raleigh. <laughs> I'm telling people in Charlotte that they're going to be mad at me. They're going to hate me for that. That is a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent me all that. He's like, who's your recruiting sergeant? Let me talk to him to tell him how fantastic this guy is and that we should really reach out to him. So I think that, again, those are your networks. You're just working yeah. through that you know and just beating the bushes hard in every which way that you can gotcha gotcha see bunch of good answers man i told you this is going to be very informative and very fun i'm having fun i hope you're having fun as well uh chief we're we're, we're going, trudging along i'm trying to be respectful of your time as well i know that you got a lot of things going on uh, yeah, recruitment and, and interaction yep in every interaction absolutely let me ask you a question here uh how do you feel that you make a positive difference? Mm. You know, I think in different ways, but I think the best way I can make a difference is being an example of what is right. There's so much wrong in our world and there is. You see politicians that are always saying one thing and doing another and, you know, in front of the camera, they show one face and one persona, but that's not really who they are. I just always want to be real. What you see is what you get with me. I am passionate, passionate about my employees, the people that work for me, that serve. I don't take it for granted what they do, that they put their lives on the line every single day. And I want to make sure that they have, they understand and know that they have a chief that cares, that understands, that hear, they hear what they are saying. A lot of times my hands are tied on things. There's, I can't do everything as the chief. I just don't have that authority. Right. But what I can do, I'm putting all my heart and soul into everything I can to make things better for my employees. And so I want them to know that um, to make to be a difference and, and make a difference. I think you just have to be authentic. Hmm. You just have to be true to who you are. Good, bad or indifferent. Hmm. That's what you have to portray. I think when you try to say one thing and do another or be one person, and portray somebody different, that's where you get a lot of trouble. If you want to make a difference, be true to who you are. Being transparent, I like that. Good answer, good answer again. And stand by, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to pause for the calls one more time. We're going to come back with Sergeant Be Safe. Let me know what you guys think about this commercial here. Settle down, class. I said settle down, now quiet. Hey, it's Sergeant B.C. Hi, class. Sergeant B.C. here. Hi, I'm Kasaya. I'm the class speaker for the day. Here's my list of questions. Why did you want to become a police officer? I wanted to become a police officer to help out people and kids like you. How long have you been a police officer? A little over 15 years now. How did you become a police officer? I had to get good grades in school and I graduated from the police academy. Why do you like being a police officer? Because it's the type of job where every day can be different. The kids had a great time. Thank you for visiting with us, Sergeant Be Safe. I'm glad to hear it. I had a great time too. Now you guys go and be safe.
Subscribe now. They're starting to be safe out on patrol, making it happen, making classroom visits, national night out, uh, handling accidents. You guys seen them in very different skits. And just want you to know the voiceover, the voiceover for that one was an actual real live school teacher and an actual real live student, of course. Um, but uh, voice talents are, are needed. Uh, voice talents are fun. Um, and we, we're having fun right now with Chief Stella Patterson, Raleigh Police Department. We just had a, a very interactive and informative interview. Chief still there. Yes, I'm still here. Hello, everyone. Chief, we had a great conversation here. And um, I know through the course of conversation, we had a lot of questions on the table. Some of them did get answered. Some of them did not. Uh, through the course of conversation as well, it may have jogged your memory or I may have forgotten to ask something. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with us right now? The floor is yours. Mm, well, if I can make my shameless plug to let Absolutely. people know that the Raleigh Police Department is hiring. If you desire a police department that is professional, has the best training that this entire nation can offer, our recruiters, our trainers are just outstanding. We are known for our training here at the Raleigh Police Department. I encourage you to apply. Raleigh is a great city to live. This whole triangle area, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, is an up and coming booming area. There's a lot of opportunity here. I encourage you to go to our website to Raleigh, joinraleighpd.org for more information. We are hiring for our October class and then we're gonna have another class in January of 2023. So we look forward to you applying. If you have questions about our police department, you can call one of our recruiters. Their information's on our website. Perfect, perfect. And that wasn't a shameless plug, absolutely. Like we discussed before, applicants, especially highly uh, qualified applicants are needed everywhere. So if you even just have a little thought in the back of your head, just go ahead and, and, and answer the, uh, talk to someone and have those questions answered. We got, uh, we got Tommy on, I wanna thank Chief Stella Patterson for blessing us with her encouraging and inspirational words, absolutely. That's from Tommy Long. Thank you for that, Tommy. Yep, yep. And Chief, thank you very much. Thank you for making yourself available. I know your time is limited and I don't want to occupy all your time this evening. I appreciate you making yourself available. We had a wonderful, informative interview. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you keep your questions coming, you can add them on the stream. You can go directly to uh, Raleigh, uh, her website. I will post it. Uh, make sure it's in the comment section as well. If you guys are looking for any other questions or if you're looking for any other background or in, any information on obtaining um, the occupation itself, make sure you guys Guys, have a wonderful night. Stay safe out there, and we love you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Would you like to say any, any farewells, Chief? Yeah, I just want to tell everybody thank you again for tuning in. Also, to please, please, please keep the Raleigh Police Department, Wake County Sheriff's Office, and this entire area in your prayers. These are tough times, of course, for everyone, but mm -hmm. we um, really appreciate your prayers and your encouragement. Thank you, and thank you, Coach, for having me. Woo -hoo! Absolutely. You did a wonderful job. I'll make sure I'll get those links to you and you have a good night. All right. You too. Take care. All right. Yep. Bye.